All right, everybody, welcome to the May 22nd edition of Cascade Indies. I've got the full crew with me again. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you. We, uh, we talked last week about the 1-6 commission and um, House Republicans coming out against it. It ended up passing the House with a significant number of Republican defections. There were 35 in total, which maybe shows that leadership doesn't quite have the, the grip on this that they thought they did. Um, McConnell is now against it in the Senate, but I don't know, man. At 35 House defections, it's not that hard to imagine 10 Republican senators defecting. Is there any chance at all this goes through? I mean, maybe. I mean, yeah, it was uh, what I think it was Representative Katko that had done the negotiations on behalf of uh, McCarthy in the House. And, and yeah, the idea was... thrown under the bus by McCarthy in the House? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and He, he said, go make a bipartisan deal. And then the sucker did. It was a good deal. I mean, they got yeah. this... Basically, this really, really bipartisan commission where Republicans could do a hell of a lot of stonewalling there. They could block a whole lot of subpoenas if they wanted to. And they would have to wrap the whole thing up by the end of the year. That was another part of the deal was that everything would have to be done with by December 31st so that it would not, you know, taint the you know, election process. So, yeah. I would think, you know, that would be, be you know, it, it seems like it would be a better option for them than uh, letting, you know, Pelosi and Hoyer create a select committee, which is what they've promised they're going to do if yeah. Republicans shut everything down. And the select committee will have subpoena power just like the commission will, and the only difference is Republicans won't be able to block it. Exactly. I'm... I'm tentatively thinking that's actually probably the smarter way to go in general, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. um, the the Republican argument is that basically all these charges amount to nothing more than trespassing, and that we're we're being dumb, uh, which really shows you how how the conversation has flipped since the days right after one six, where this was even to Republicans, you know, a, a step too far. And now it's just something that they're going to accept. I don't, something is very broken in our politics on, on that one. I really can't really see anything different out of that than there is one party that is absolutely wedded, I guess, the idea that violence is an acceptable political tool. Right, or that just for them, <laughs> or that democracy is just something that they have to oppose, which yeah, is even scarier. They're um, speaking of that topic. Uh, hold on one second, let me pull it up. Yeah, uh, so the Washington Post had a, or excuse me, CBS UW had a poll came out. That ask Republican a series ask Republican voters a series of question of questions about the 2020 election, Donald Trump, and priorities going forward. Um, almost half of them said that democracy is not important. That instead of seeking out more voters, they would prioritize changing voting rules in states and districts. Mm -hmm. uh, 
yeah, about 47% decided yeah. that democracy was less important than choosing who was voted. The important thing is that we win, <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had talked last week about Matt Gates and his developing legal troubles. Uh, his partner and friend had turned state's evidence, or I guess federal evidence. Um, I yeah. don't know if there's a term for that. But now his ex-girlfriend and former staffer has done the same. I guess there is some inkling that she may have helped procure girls at one point, but I haven't seen any in-depth reporting on that. Dan, you were just looking up, and she's basically been with him his entire career, his office and on the Hill and all that. Yeah, yeah. She's a, a former or, you know, Capitol Hill staffer. She's been associated with Gates going back four years now, going back to 2017. So she's been with him for quite some time. Um, there's not a lot that's been released more than that, just that, you know, she has, you know, is now cooperating with the government. So it's just more bad news for Gates. And it, you know, seems to just come every single week now, <laughs> just in time to screw up his TGIF, you know? So <laughs> he, he's, you know, just in time for him to, you know, go on his, you know, next road show with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And... <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Harshest Saturday. <laughs> but, yeah, so more bad news for him, you know. There were, I guess, some more details that came out of his partner's plea deal as well. Um, Greenberg's deal has him admit to spending more than $70,000 on uh, more than 150 transactions, all of which were him paying women for commercial sex acts. So they spent $70,000 on hookers. 150 <laughs> transactions? Wow. More than 150 transactions. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Uh, okay. the, they also included the 17-year-old girl. Um, the deal has him admitting that when he learned the girl was 17 in September 2017, that they'd already had sex at least seven times. So, yeah. All right, then. Yeah. This is definitely looking <laughs> like it's it's starting to tighten around Gates. Um, mm-hmm. The the payouts, uh, which I have to remember, they have receipts for through Apple Pay. Um, the payouts were labeled tuition and school, which adds a whole nother creepy level to this. Mm. God. Sugar daddy action. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, they haven't identified Gates yet because he hasn't been charged, but according to uh, sources within the Department of Justice, uh, the Orlando Sentinel is saying that Gates is the the target. So that news is awesome. tightening quickly. Could not happen to a better person. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess we'll let's throw it to Chris for a second because Chris, you have some updates out of Texas that I actually had not heard about. Yeah. Well, so Texas being Texas has done a couple of things. Um, one is that they 
passed a voting rights restriction, and it was actually not this past week, which I thought it was, um, but I was actually thinking of Arizona's voting rights restriction this past week because every Republican-controlled state now is doing as many voting rights restrictions as they can. As you do. <laughs> as you do, yeah. So um, the Texas, the Texas one you know, does all the standard things that these kinds of votes do about limiting early voting and limiting drop-offs and et cetera, et cetera. But it also kind of gets into the whole, like, what is acceptable for a quote-unquote poll watcher to do? And so the... The exact wording is that for a poll watcher to be doing something unacceptable, it has to be a breach of peace. And what was the standard before? Just um, anything that wasn't allowed by the agreement. Now they're saying it has to be actually committing a crime. Yeah, yeah, so I think that's the difference. Okay. Hmm. So basically, the rules don't matter. And in both Arizona and Texas, we're seeing the same pattern we've seen in Georgia, which is the to the extent that there is opposition to this, it's not coming from the political system as much as from the business side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting. So I think the uh, companies that were headquartered in Texas that I'm seeing here in this list that have objected to the bill are American Airlines, Microsoft, Dell, and Unilever. This must be like regional headquarters. I mean, Microsoft isn't headquartered in Texas, but... They've got significant uh, business interest in Texas. Yeah. And then um, I think you also mentioned Texas had a batch of new abortions. Bills, which will lead into something we're going to talk about as well. Yes. Uh, so the Texas, the Texas law pretty much bans all abortions after six weeks, um, <laughs> and there are the only exception is danger to the life of the mother. Which I mean, some bills don't even allow that, but rape is fine, incest is fine. The only exception is like an absolute physical danger to the life of the mother. And the other thing to note about is that with the six-week cutoff, very often people have no idea they're pregnant until later than that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, you often can't get uh, doctor's appointments to check on yeah anatomy screens and things like that until eight weeks. So, yeah. yeah. So that's... So de facto, it's a complete ban of abortion. You know? mm-hmm. um, the other thing that it does, which is really nasty, is that it basically gives citizens the right to sue an abortion provider or anybody helping someone get an abortion. Creates a private cause of action? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, that's exactly what we need. <laughs> 
And of course, there's like so much gray area there, you know, even theoretically, they could even try to apply that to somebody crossing state lines. Mm-hmm. That's really where I thought they were going with it from the get go. Yeah. Like if you help someone make travel arrangements, you are aiding the abortion, quote unquote. Yeah, helping somebody go to New Mexico or another state with actually reasonable abortion laws, or more reasonable mm-hmm. than Texas, I should say. Right. Uh, this does kind of move us into the abortion front, which uh, there has been some movement on. I guess the is it the Mississippi heartbeat bill that's coming up before the Supreme Court. Did I get yeah, the state right. It's Mississippi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So the Supreme Court, with its newly empowered conservative majority, is getting their first chance to take a whack at Roe. Um, The Mississippi case involves a state law that bans abortion at the first detection of a fetal heartbeat, which is incredibly early in the pregnancy and doesn't really have that much to do with the rest of it. Um, But it is looking like this is the case that they're going to use to potentially well upend abortion law in this country yeah altogether yeah it's a yeah i think that's another what six weeks i believe somewhere in there it's i think it's nine very early band yeah yeah but that yeah the court has agreed to take the case so that could be i think it would be by next summer is when that ruling would be coming down I've seen a lot of people assume that this will be Republican states are allowed to ban abortion if they want to. I'm I'm somewhat nervous it's going to end up being a more than just a state-by-state state thing. I, I am concerned that they're going to start putting some limits on the procedure in general across all states. Like a, a finding of fetal personhood, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just specifically because the fetal heartbeat bill is is tailored towards that way it's mm-hmm. it's using the heartbeat as a way to cast the fetus with a person with rights it gives you a window if you're the supreme court and you are so inclined it gives you a window not just to allow fetal heart bills uh, fetal heartbeat bills but to kind of force that standard across everybody else if you do see If you do see personhood as being established with the heartbeat, which is what the law in Mississippi does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. I mean, that... That would be... And, like, you know what Roberts would do in that case is Roberts would try and steer it to looking strictly at the timeline and saying whether or not that's a permissible... Like, is X weeks a permissible line for a state to draw... And kind of keep it on a state by state basis, but I, I do absolutely yeah. agree with you that that's where Roberts these other justices. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even with Roberts, the liberals only have four votes. On the court. Yeah, exactly. Roberts is no longer the median <laughs> vote. It's what probably Kavanaugh, which yeah. is freaking frightening in itself. I'm I'm just really worried that we're going to get to a point where. Part of 
the government is fully at war with the Supreme Court, and that's not going to be healthy for anybody, really. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to tear apart some of the foundations of our institutions. But I think I think that's where you have to go. Like if they impose some sort of of you know national standard on on fetal heartbeat, I think you're going to absolutely see like full on court resistance or full on state resistance to the court. There's going to be a war, and I I assume that the, the Biden government is going to side with the states in that case. Right. Yeah. That's gonna get messy. Uh, speaking of messy, let's talk about the Arizona audit, which has been on a pause because the convention center they were using needs to be used for high school prompts, which is just a, another wonderful wrinkle to the story. Um, however, the big news was that this week the Arizona audit firm uh, went in front of the uh, state Senate and claimed that databases full of voter information were deleted by Maricopa County from the records that they were provided. This turned out to be not even a little bit true. So much not even true that there were actually, because of what they used, extra copies of that database? Well, okay. That was the next little break in there. The uh, the Arizona audit has claimed that these folders and files were deleted. They were not. They were actually in a RAID system. It was a RAID 10, or more accurately, RAID 1 plus 0 setup. And the uh, audit firm did not know how to configure the drives. RAID is a standard I use in a lot of my tech projects. It's just redundancy in drives. You're striping drives across drives. You've got parity bits. If you have a drive failure, you can always recover all the data. It does need to be set up because pieces of your directory are saved on different drives. They're, they're striped across. It requires some background and, and knowing what's going on. Uh, apparently, the audit firm just decided that since they couldn't figure it out on the first go, that these files were deleted. Uh, they've since had to retract that, but it really just, I think, kind of shows you how much of an amateur hour you're you're playing with in that audit. Yeah, and this is one of the few areas where a state GOP has actually stepped up and said, I, we're not sure about this. Yeah, the um, I believe it was the county recorder. For uh, Maricopa County, the guy in charge of all the election uh, info and databases and all that, uh, he made a whole tweet thread about how this is insane. He is literally looking at the database right now, like it's on my screen. Uh, and they did, they did admit that the files. Well, they didn't say they they weren't deleted. They said that they managed to recover the files. They're still strongly implying that they were deleted. Um, even after they admitted it was a raid issue, uh, and then they also decided to blame the county for that, saying that they weren't given the the raid configuration in order to set up the drives. Which you should really be able to figure that out. You're a cybersecurity firm, <laughs> or at least you claim to be. Nobody's ever used you before this, but shit. <laughs> uh, they're also looking to uh, model 
other states off this audit and looking to expand that. I, I think Pennsylvania is where they're, they're looking at next and Georgia as well. Um, this audit is just, it's a comedy of errors. Uh, I can't understand why the hell anybody thought this was a good idea. Like, in the slightest. Yeah, unless it's one of those things that isn't intended, you know, to even vaguely have an actual result, but just to keep keep the agitation going. I mean, that's a lot of what gets done anymore. So, yeah. That's, I mean, <laughs> it's the Republican Party under Trump. Mm-hmm. Agitation, yeah. Keep people mad. Yeah, I mean, to swing back to something we were talking about earlier, I legitimately wonder, like with the Gates case, whether it's even possible for him to be asked to leave by his party now. (laughs) I think literally the only way he'll be out of Congress is if he's jailed. Which I don't think is actually all that far off. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. which may not be that far off. But the, you know, no matter how ridiculous the situation is, never admit the situation actually is what it is, is kind of like the rule of half of the political spectrum now. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of on that topic about just deny everything, um, Trump's been touting this audit on his blog, which apparently is not getting anything like the traction he hoped it would. I don't know if you guys saw that, but the, the visitor numbers are not meeting expectations, I'll say. So sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he has repeated this, you know, deleted files claim and all that. Uh, it, it really just looks like it's trying to give a veneer to a fantasy they want to assert as reality. Doesn't seem really any different from that. Um, we're moving quick, so I guess we'll just kind of switch into our local stories i've got a couple of them um one of which i post in the topic list the other one i'll I'll just mention myself um so we're getting a covid vaccine lottery here in oregon there's going to be a number of prizes the grand prize is one million dollars um same as the ohio lottery there are other uh smaller prizes there'll be 36 ten thousand dollar winners um and for people under 18 who got the vaccine they'll be entered to win $100,000 scholarships uh, through the lottery. So it's going to be a number of prizes. Um, and those $10,000 prizes, prizes, there'll be one from each county in Oregon, uh, which the Oregon Live points out that there are some places, like Wheeler County, with just 1,440 residents in the entire county, where your odds of winning $10,000 are pretty high. Whereas Multnomah County has nearly a million people, so not that high. Not so much, then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those $100,000 scholarships for youth ages 12 to 17, there'll be five of those. Um, That money can be used for college or trade schools. We'll get uh, winners announced by July 4th, and I guess they're just going to be automatically entering people who have got the shot. So... We'll see how that goes. Uh, I know Ohio was the first state to do the vaccine lottery to help encourage vaccine-hesitant people to get the shot. 
Did you hear anything up in Washington about whether or not they might be doing something like this? I have not, but I mean, that sounds cool. I mean, we're, we're hitting around, uh, we just passed 50% this week in terms of people who got their first dose. So we're really cruising. We just passed that same mark. Yeah, Friday yeah. we hit 52% of people partially vaccinated and 40% fully vaccinated. Very nice. Very nice. I think we're in the 70s, actually. Yeah, Not Vermont's been blowing everybody away. <laughs> you guys rule. It's great. It's sad because we're so there. rational. There's no uh, payoff for me. Yeah. yeah. Be entered in a lottery. I won't be given a cash prize. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All oh. I'll do is live and not get covid the the lottery prize is herd immunity (laughs) Uh, the other local story i have from oregon here uh, specifically from portland is that the city is going to move to aggressive camp sweeps over the next couple weeks Uh, we have been letting homeless camps kind of stay wherever they are uh, following CDC guidelines, not wanting to aggravate coronavirus spread. It has gotten absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Downtown is nothing but tents at this point. Uh, Powell, every single car parking lot on Powell Boulevard is just a tent city. Um, The city is putting some rules on the camp sweeps. There needs to be at least three, um, Three structures set up, tents or uh, shacks or whatnot, and they are actually building full-on shacks. Um, if it meets that standard, if it's large enough, if there's any... The big thing that they're worried about is blocking sidewalk access. There have been The city has got a number of complaints uh, under the ADA about residents in wheelchairs being unable to use sidewalks because tents are taking up most of the space. That's going to be another indicator that the camp will be swept is if they're blocking a public right-of-way for pedestrians. Um, It's something that the city has gotten really poor marks on. The Oregon Live, the Oregonian, did a poll of Portland residents just uh, last week, and uh, managing the homeless situation and the prevalence of homeless camps was um, almost on its own tier in terms of uh, how many residents had concerns. It was over two-thirds. The only thing that was even close to it was how uh, political leaders have handled the protest. But yeah, it's it's getting ridiculously bad. I have to you know walk over needles and syringes when I go catch the the bus on Powell and whatnot. It's been a long time coming. It's something that I think needed to have happened. Um, I just hope the city goes about it the right way at this point. Because I mean, even if it has to happen, there's there's a right way and a wrong way do this uh, so we'll mm-hmm. see how it how it plays out but it does look like the city is going to get cleaned up a little bit after a year of suspending all sorts of camp sweeps suspending all sorts of trash pickup uh we're gonna have to start getting back into the the city services mode where the city's actually doing things and this will be kind of the first step to it uh anything going up in washington Let's see here. Uh, Well, legislature is finished as of this week, is my understanding. Let's see. I don't think, I can't think of any other big stories that have been coming out. Uh, Let's see. We're still, uh, I think, 
I believe the filing period is probably closed for the municipal elections. So yeah, we should have 15 candidates. Yeah, for the Seattle city, for the Seattle mayor selection. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, big list now. So we'll have the uh, final total on who all is in that race and for all the other elections across the state. And then that'll kick off for August is when that primary will be in effect. I can't think of a whole lot else going on around the state at the moment. Just to check in on the Seattle race there briefly, uh, the two people we thought were the most serious candidates, uh, the city council president and the former council member, along with the former state rep, they're actually all trailing in early fundraising to Colleen Echohawk who is a really? Native American activist and executive director of the Chief Seattle Club. Uh, yeah, she pulled in $375,000. Um, next place was Houston, who is also not one of the more serious people that I thought at least. He's a housing advocate, Andrew Grant Houston. He pulled in $320,000. Um, and both of those were largely driven by the democracy vouchers that Seattle has. Where no kidding, yeah, every voter gets four $25 vouchers and they can give it to whoever for their campaign. Uh, that's really been the driving force behind the early fundraising for those two. Huh, well, how about that? Mm-hmm. That okay, yeah. Uh, in third place was Gonzalez, she is the city council president. Um, she pulled in 245000 so about 125000 less than Echo Hawk did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is still a respectable number for, you know, well, a city sure. race. But, but yeah, definitely shows that, there's some appetite for somebody new. Will definitely be interesting to follow as the summer goes on. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a, definitely a crowded field. I mean, 15 candidates and, you know, somewhere around a half a dozen that are pretty serious. I mean, a little bit of a, you know, kind of a weird mirror of the, you know, New York City race there. So, yeah, interesting. Anything going on uh, in Vermont, Chris? We finished our legislative session, um, just finished it as well. And I unfortunately was not that dialed into this session, so I don't really have any highlights to report. All right. Well, I think that's just about going to do us this week for a short episode. Is there anything else anybody wanted to mention? No? It's a beautiful Saturday. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'll see you guys next week. All right. All right. Have a good one. Bye, everyone.